Happy July. Happy summer. We are coming to you this July with some of our favorite podcast guests. We are kicking it back to some of our favorite this season who really helped us love and serve our community well. So even if you've listened to this before, I honestly could listen to these one, two, three, four times and still get something really special out of them. So I hope you enjoy. Um, For those who maybe got behind your podcast, this is the perfect time to kind of catch up and we've given you some of our faves. I also wanted to let you know if you want to dig deeper in our community, we have this thing called family coaching where every month I come to you with basically topics that you all have given to me to help strengthen your family really all in the goal to love and serve your community well. And so we have different topics like raising confident kids and building healthy habits and how to serve with your family and how to make family mission. And you can get the entire year for $100 on our website at bestrongstory.com and we'll go in depth with you. We have a private group that we talk about these things in. It just helps us dive in deeper with families and I just love it. And also we have come out with our children's book. Many of you have already purchased this book and have already shared it with others and it really is just our story in children's book form of how this lunchbox note that said be strong protect the weak, love everyone, how this simple lunchbox note really changed our life and built this company. And so we hope that it inspires your family to live love in action the way that you are designed to live it. So thanks so much for being on this journey with us. Happy summer and happy July. This week, I had the incredible privilege of interviewing Terrence Lester. Terrence is a speaker, an activist, an author, a thought leader in the realm of systemic poverty. He's known for nationwide campaigns that bring awareness to issues surrounding homelessness, poverty, and economic inequality. His awareness campaigns have been featured on USA Today, NBC, Black Enterprise, Upworthy, and has been viewed millions of times by people worldwide. In 2018, Terrence led the March Against Poverty as he walked from Atlanta to Memphis, and he finished the march and spoke at the historic Lorraine Motel for the 50th anniversary of MLK's assassination. Terrence has written four books. His new book, I See You, How Love Opens Our Eyes to Invisible People, is a beautiful book about seeing others. And we talk and dive into a story about when he was a young kid, he needed someone to truly see him because he lived in this poverty and he lived in a place where he needed someone to reach out and be the person that says, I see you. I see that you can do incredible things in your life, not based on what you have, but on who you are. And we talk more about that. And we talk about how to see others in an incredible way Um, And he is just an incredible teacher for us. And I cannot wait for you to listen to my interview with Terrence Lester. Hi, I'm Christy Hayes and co-founder of Be Strong Story, a family mission and company founded because of a little lunchbox note my husband wrote my son that said, Be strong, protect the weak, love everyone. That's right. We believe those three lines can change our world if we live them out. Each week, we'll be sharing an inspiring and real story of others who are displaying this message of love in big and small ways in their community, because every way matters. We hope each story will inspire you to make this message your own. Let's go love the world, you guys. Hey guys, thanks so much for being on the Be Love podcast and listening today. Today, we have Terrence Lester. Thanks so much for being on, Terrence. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. I love um, just the heart of everything that you guys do, your stories, you know, are what kind of brought um, us together is just my heart for the homelessness and your heart for the homelessness. And um, for those who are kind of just listening, they might even not know our story, but our company, um, we have an apparel line and it's from a lunchbox note my husband wrote that said is be strong, protect the weak, love everyone. And we're trying to live that out as a community, as a family. Um, but we actually, my dream was always to have those um, who were getting out of homelessness or who needed a job to screen print our shirts. And my husband's like, well, how the heck are you going to do that? You don't know how to screen print. You don't know how to, you know, what are you going to do? We don't have any kind of thing like that. And we actually found, we moved to Denver. We found a homeless shelter here that we partnered with. And they actually, in the back, if you can believe this, have a screen printing business that they use to employ former homeless. And so they train people on that. And we've worked with them um, exclusively for two years. So I get to go down there every week and 
work with them, but then in the front is their day shelter and just kind of sitting and hearing stories. And it literally just brings so much perspective to me every day. So I just love your heart for that. Um, for those who might not know you or love beyond um, walls, I'd love for you just to kind of tell what kind of broke your heart or what kind of um, made you do what you do right now? Yeah. Um, so yeah, huge shout out to your company and what you do and, and just your heart behind uh, wanting to create a space and uh, I guess equitable opportunities for people to have access to jobs because jobs within themselves provide dignity or affirm the dignity yeah. of those who are living on the margins. Um, well, f I mean, for me, it's it's a combination of a personal story and uh, passion, or I could say uh, my personal story led me uh, kind of into this space. Um, I experienced homelessness myself as a teen, um, which was always hard for me. Uh, because when I was in high school, my teachers didn't really understand uh, the disconnect that I had with uh, the lesson in the classroom or why I would fall asleep and, and just not be engaged. Uh, I had a lot of social uh, issues stemming from my house and teachers would misinterpret that and literally, uh, you know, speak down to me, uh, say that I wouldn't be nothing, uh, you know, that I would probably end up in jail, you know, and my behavior kind of like was more reactionary to how they were coming, coming at me. And, um, sure. Did they know I, you were homeless at the time or did they just no, assume, I mean, did I mean, they even ask? No, they didn't ask. It was, it was more so just like the surface observatory things that, uh, people, do now when they see people living on the streets like uh, the thing I love about your heart is you, you're a firm believer that everyone has a story everybody has a background like and those teachers just did they didn't do that wow and you know I think I, I struggled with that because I began to um, take on some of the labels um, that the teachers or the educators during that time uh, put on me, uh, yeah. which they were literally essentially mislabeling, labeling me. They were yeah. mislabeling me. And, uh, and so I worked through that and, uh, my story ends up at a alternative school. Uh, it's the day I was going to drop out of school. I'm walking away from the school. I had slept in the park the night before and this homeless guy, a uh, person experienced a homelessness stops me. And he asked me if this was that's the school you're going to. And I was like, yeah, he was like, whatever you do, um, you know, finish your education. One day you're going to be a leader. I explained to me that if not, I'll probably end up about on the streets mm. long term. Like him, he didn't know my background. Um, and so one person, guy, so this random person set, spoke, random spoke that to you and like literally changed the trajectory of whether you were dropping out or going. Yeah. Well, I'm 16 and a half years old. Uh, a lot of things in my world at that time were like all over the place. I had no concept of uh, what it means to be a young, you know, African-American male coming up in society and culture. I had no reference to like what does a stable family look like. It, it was just so many different dynamics. Uh, and then, you know, this challenge of understand how does education even play a factor? Why do I need this when I have all these other issues going on? And yeah, in this brief moment, God like spoke into my life and I'll never forget that conversation. I tell that story often because it was the catalyst to, to make me start to think, man, it, there must be something better out there. Yeah. And, uh, I started meeting more people that I didn't know who I wasn't connected with that would literally sit me down and listen to my story. And I, I started getting a, a lot of mentors that way, like random strangers that I would learn from uh, that would take the time to know me. And, you know, like I always say, uh, this guy who was experiencing homelessness was the first man that I ever heard tell me that I would be a leader. <laughs> and you were how old? I mean, you were 16 and a half. Five years old, yeah. When you first heard that you could be something a leader. and leave into it and 
And yes. your past with education, I mean, one of probably the reasons you didn't want to go to the school is because the past that you had with education wasn't the most uh, positive experience. No, it wasn't positive. Um, and it was just, you know, like as an educator, and I, I've been educator post all of those experiences, but as an educator, like you are really in a, in a position to mold and shape, uh, young minds, uh, not just minds about random facts and knowledge, but like, you know, critical thinkers, Mm -hmm. uh, the future leaders of tomorrow. Um, but you know, people had no idea. Like it's, it's funny now on the opposite side, like I went back to school, I graduated, I went on to get, uh, you know, a considerable amount of education and, and post all of that. You're, and you're um, getting your doctorate. Like you're like, I'm working, I'm working yeah. all that stuff That's now, awesome. you know, having a, getting a chance to write a book with a traditional publisher and all that stuff. And like the alternative school, uh, the one that I was deciding to drop out of, you know, our organization has supported kids in that community before, you know, just seeing life come full circle. I get a chance to run into people um, like the principal, uh, Mr. Jones. I'll never forget Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones was at the lunch of the Dignity Museum. He was my principal when I was in school. Wow. Wow. (laughs) He was, uh, he wasn't, he was one of those ones that always had grace um, and saw potential past. Yeah you know, misbehaving or like the things that he didn't understand. And it, it's, it's funny now. Cause even in, in my, our discussions now, he was like, you know, I always saw something, mm. uh, you know, beyond what everybody else saw. So. And I, I love, I love those. Te- we, I have those teachers in my kids' lives and I tell them all the time. Yeah. I'm like, thank you so much for caring about my kid, not just math and if he does reading and all those things, but literally for texting me and calling me and saying, hey, he's not looking so great today. Like, what's is there something going on in his life? And I'm like, right. yeah, he has, his grandpa just died and our best friend just died. And he's probably acting out because he doesn't know how to process it. But they, But they, instead of just getting on him, they recognized something was different with him and they called me and said, hey, what can we do? And I so appreciate those people who you know, look beyond. I'm sorry that you didn't have that at the time, but so many teachers who look beyond just the education and look at those kids. I mean, it's just so important. I love teachers so much who look beyond and just see that kid for who they are. Yeah. I had another teacher. um, Well, he, he wasn't even necessarily one of my teachers at the time. He was a substitute teacher at the time. He, since then, you know, he's gone on to get his doctorate. He, he has a practice He's doing phenomenal work now, but um, he was the one that kind of like noticed that I could, you know, speak or, uh, you know, I was creative in my writing and stuff like that. And he encouraged that. We didn't spend a lot of time together, but I'll never forget our conversations uh, with him saying maybe you should like try to focus in on, you know, writing and speaking. Um, I was like 16 and a half, maybe 17 years old at that time. And it, it really it really began to cause me to explore um, some of the maybe giftings or talents that I, I had that I didn't know that I had at the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So someone saw that in you and then you yeah. were able to kind of go, oh, wait a second, maybe I do have some talent. Yeah. In so then did you start pursuing that while you were in school or after school? Oh, like what happened after that? No, it, it was it was um, it was like after that. Like I had some more experiences where I, I made some pretty poor decisions and then, um, you know, just kind of landed me in a place where I was like, you know, I want to change my life. I want to be more than uh, the environment that I'm kind of like in at sure. the moment. I started to develop a, a bigger picture. I normally use this analogy when I'm talking to um, like graduating students or uh, young folks I give an analogy of like going to a store to to shop for a picture frame, right? You know, we've all done that. And you only shop for the picture frame uh, based upon the size of your picture, right? So if you have a small picture, Mm. you're going to shop for a small frame. 
And what was happening is during that time, I had a, a like a small self-image or self-picture uh, based upon my environment. And what happened was I, I started to grow that self-image, that self-picture. Um, and it literally forced me to bust out of the frame yeah. of my world at that time. And, and so, yeah, I started to dream and uh, I started writing uh <laughs> Poetry. Most people ask me now, like, how did you get into like public speaking and all this stuff? I, was, I started with poetry. I, I used to pin down like my thoughts and my struggles and all sorts of stuff. I published, self-published my first book when I was 21. That's awesome. Um, and this is kind of like leading up to why I do this work. Um, but as my life started to change, I got married, um, started to overcome a lot of the obstacles that were in my life. I then realized, like, yo, like I could, I don't have to use my degrees to amass a bunch of wealth for myself and just to be about me, myself, and I, us four, and no more. I could literally use all of my skill sets, uh, my education, um, my experiences mm-hmm. to literally find the persons who are on the margins that are kind of like overlooked, misjudged you know, outcast, all those things, and and literally call out the good in them because I could relate, right? And so, uh, and and that's kind of like the the cornerstone of why we uh, named our organization Love Beyond Walls because there are a lot of walls that separate people. There are a lot of isms that are erected that kind of like separate people. There are a lot of invisible walls, right, that keeps people from connecting with those who are deemed less than, and we wanted to destroy those. We wanted to take love beyond the walls that exist in our society and culture. And so my heart has been developed of not just interest in this subject, but like overcoming it myself. I mean, even my mom, I mean, she continued to, to she fought hard, man. She went on to get her doctorate. Uh, she rose up in her, in her career, overcame a lot as a single mom. Um, and she became like a she-ro to me, and I was able to, to do the same. And it was all based upon the fact that we had important relationships that entered into our lives. Mm. And many people neglect the fact that, yeah, you could give people a lot of programming or uh, you know so- social services, but if they lack the, the, the social structure and social support in their lives, you're literally putting them on a conveyor belt to be in isolation, right? Um, it's that the relational piece that we focus on here um, that's most important because it's the relationships that poured into my life that have uh, planted seeds that continue to bear fruit today. Can you give me some of those when you talk about walls? Um, yeah. Can you give me some of those walls that are up that um, <laughs> people have a hard time breaking through if they're in poverty or even like a teen like you? Like you broke through that wall. Um, but there are some who don't, what are those walls? Yeah. So, I mean, there are walls on both sides, right? Um, I normally start with, uh, the walls that are, well, exist within the context of people who are just well-meaning and wanting to do good. The first wall would be fear. Uh, we have demonized, criminalized, and, uh, you know, de-characterize people who are experiencing poverty. So, like, when you hear or see the word uh, poor or poverty uh, talked about in any type of media outlet when it's uh, centered around commentary, we're oftentimes highlighting uh, people in a flawed way. Like, maybe they have, a, you know, they don't have good character or they don't have any morals or values or something may be uh, wrong with them mentally. And it's like this whole category of, you know, ideas that aren't even true. Mm-hmm. And those create the, I think it, it creates some of the fear that we have towards uh, the poor. Uh, so in, in terms of like, when I talk to people, like uh, I'll never forget, I was having this conversation uh, with this guy. He's a, a coder. And he had come into the office and he was like, you know, talking about his fear or whatever. And I was like, bro, hold up. You know, I was like, who's the last person that hurt you in your life? 
he started to think about it. And he started to think about people who have access and privileges and, and stuff like that. And it's like, why do we categorize people based upon uh, their poverty? But when it comes to humanity, we don't necessarily normalize that. Like, you know what I mean? It's it's like we we put people on buckets and categorize them based upon what they don't have access to. Right. It creates this this fear of like, you know, maybe they don't have the same values I have, or maybe they don't uh, cherish the same things that I cherish, and we kind of distance ourselves right. like that. I think people have to work through those fears and see the humanity in people who don't have access. And, and also you, you gotta like almost, you gotta see yourself in other people. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because it's so, I think the lack of education, I just want to stop you for two seconds because you're saying something so good right here is that we, it's, it's kind of us and them. So if I see someone on the street, I'm like, I would never be that person, but how many paychecks am I away from being that person? How many, how many, my husband dying, my kids dying, you know, he's our sole provider right now. Like I get to do this business because he's helping with that. But what if something happened to him? I mean, how many, how close am I to being that person? And if I don't know their story, which I've heard so many stories now that I'm in it to go, what? Like that could be me, right. you know, I, explain that, like seeing yourself in another person. Cause I think that is yeah. so key. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that humble approach of saying this could be me. Mm-hmm. Cause all I need is. So guess what our fall line is here. And we're so excited. You can get our new fall line. It says be love. It's very much like our podcast. It's a take on our podcast that we want to be love to the world however we can. And that's why we share these podcast stories because it gives us ideas of how others are living out love in creative ways for us to do the same thing in our own way. And so we created a line. um, It says be love. There's sweatshirts and tank tops and shirts and they're all available now. We've been waiting um, and now they're here. So you can go to www.bestrongstory.com Click on the shop tab and everything is there for purchase. Thanks so much for purchasing those, for wearing those, for getting the word out. It means everything. Um, One of the activities that we have when people come to uh, the museum um, is to create their own sign, right? And so we ask these very personal questions that causes people for a moment to pause and reflect on somebody else's circumstance. We ask, you know, you know, if you had to raise or beg for money on the street corner because you needed money for medication because you hasn't have no access uh, to health care, health care, what would you write on the sign? Mm. I mean, we've literally had people break down and say, I, I can't I can't do it. It puts me too much of a uh, too much into a vulnerable place. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, these are realities. Forty-four America, forty-four percent of Americans uh, don't have four hundred dollars in savings. I mean, these are known facts. Uh, one in four Americans are one paycheck away um, from actually being on the streets themselves. Uh, when you read books like *Nickel and Dime* by Robert Aaron Wright or um, *The Rich and the Rest of Us* by Cornell West. Uh, they really push us to think about how close millions of Americans are uh, to not having living wages and uh, with the inflation of affordability and so many other causing factors could literally contribute to somebody uh, being on the streets themselves. How and would you, I, can I, I ask you a question real quick? I mean, just, um, cause you're, yeah. this is so good. I think it's so good. Um, yeah. What would you say? So, for instance, a lot, and I'm not like, yeah. a lot of us don't live in this environment. Obviously, you grew up in this, so you get it. I do yeah. not. I come from, you know, middle classish. Not, we actually didn't do so well. We, I didn't know how tight it was because my parents never really said, but to the most of Americans, we're not living on the street, okay? Um, yeah. So, for me to have a perspective like you have, 
Yeah. What would be the first step for me, like middle class white yeah. woman Good. who That's has good. no idea what the heck and and I and I'm listening to this podcast and I'm going, "Well, crap. I'm that person who puts people yeah. in buckets. I don't mean to. That's not yeah. I don't I have a heart for others. I don't mean to, but like I'm just I don't even understand it. What's that first step to get past yeah. that?" That's great. Great question. Um so it's it's twofold. It's proximity and it's margin. Um, proximity and margin. And what I mean by proximity is you you only understand or have more empathy towards the things that you're closest to. 100%. Right? And so if you are at a distance from, say, like an issue or a, a you know, a people group or, you know, people experiencing certain plights, then your heart is not in a position really to fully understand. It's not until you sit down and listen to people's stories and engage with them and, you know, uh, take the palms down approach where you go and serve different places to get a full understanding of what it means to be on the other side. I think that proximity thing is so key. Like you can't love a person fully until you know a person. Well, right? and, I, and proximity. So I live in the suburbs. I live 45 yeah. minutes away from the homeless. I live, you know, all the excuses. Yeah. I mean, I've had them too. Yeah. And I have to be very intentional. So, you yeah. know, all the excuses that I can just hear myself or someone right. listening to this going, well, I don't live close to them. I don't right. live close. I live in a bubble. I mean, quite honestly. Right. Um, I have soccer. I have carpool with my kids. I have soccer games. How do I have time? Like, right. Well, what do you, what do you the, say to that? Yeah. Here's the. Remember, I said it was twofold. Yep. Here's the the other part of the, that answer, is margin. Right. Okay. Doctor Swenson wrote a, a really good book called Margin, and he's basically talking about how we equate or we associate success with busyness. Yes. <laughs> And, yes. and that's not always the case, right? And so we, we fill up our calendars, uh, we stretch ourselves thin, and we're doing tons and tons of things that at the end of the day uh, probably has like, I would, from my, coming from my point, has no eternal value or it, it, it um, doesn't have any meaning or purpose, yeah. right? And so we're just like filling time. And for many people, the reason why they can't get proximate to uh, some of the issues that we're talking about or ha have made mention of or even the things that they're passionate about is because their time is being eaten. Right. And so when you're when you don't have any margin or any time and your plate is filled, you start to operate uh, from a place of an event mindset versus a lifestyle mindset, Ooh, that's right? Good. That's good. And so it's, oh yeah, I went and helped out, you know, one or two times a year, or, you know, I did this thing and I collected a bunch of stuff maybe once, you know, because somebody invited me. And that event mindset within itself is, is limiting, right? Because you really don't understand. You haven't really carved out the space and time for you to, to get close and proximate. And so what I normally tell people is like, if you're really passionate about, um, going to serve, or if you're really passionate about, um, learning and understanding, you have got to create time. Like if you create time to shop, if you create time to do other things, you factor this into your life where it becomes a rhythm. And the more that you're around it, the more that, uh, you'll have your heart broken for the issue, the more you'll be empathetic and the more relationships and stories that you can hear uh, from people on the, the other side of the issue. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's a it's a proximity issue and it's also a margin issue. And I think that's so important, too, is just number one for us. It's been intentionality, because as much as I want to live in the city and li literally everywhere we move, we've moved like seven times. Every, we love the city. We love the old houses. We love all the things. Yeah. And we never, for some reason, it never really works. We've lived in one like city downtown and loved it. But for some reason, we are like out in the burbs. Like we live now in Denver, but we live out in the Hogback Mountains. You know, it, it's 30 minutes to get in the city. Now, it's very important for me because I want to be in proximity, right, and margin, yes. and I want to take my kids. Yeah. Um, and it's our business. I mean, that's, it, yeah. you know, people listening are like, well, that's what you do. That's that's how you do. And 
one of the things that's been so important for us is sometimes I have these moms come up to me a while ago when my, my son was in first grade and they said, we want to be about these things, but we don't know how to be about these things. We don't know who to call. We don't know what opportunity to volunteer with. And I said, okay, I do know those places because that's what I do. And yes. I'll figure it out. So I always tell people, like, find the people who are already doing it. You don't need to do yep. anything else. And That's then come correct. alongside them. So we have a group, yep. even in our just community, of families. And we call it the Be Strong Story Families. And we serve each month somewhere. Now, I also hear you say just an event, those kind of things, you know, um, are just – sometimes that's more for me to feel good. And so it's yes. this this – which isn't good or bad – but I want it to be, and I want people to understand, because I've been on this side too, is that yeah. it's not just an event. It is a relationship. So my desire is that when we yeah. go serve at these different places, one yes. person will go, oh, I love the veteran home. I want to keep serving there with my family. I want to yes. build a connection with this one person, and yes. I want to just take them to lunch, and I want to be about them. Or yes. this homeless person. Because I do think it's not just an event. I think that gets us started, right? It gets um, us started. It's the, yeah, it's the conduit. But then what you said with relationships, I always want to point back to that because you just had maybe a couple people in your life. I mean, taking you back to when you were yeah. in high school that yeah. just came alongside you and look what you're doing now. You're literally yeah. changing the world for who you used to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, and hear me clearly. Like when I say shifting from the event to the to the lifestyle mindset i'm i'm talking about legacy right at the end of this life what will your legacy yes. be what will you be known for yep. right you know we are known um by the the problems we saw that's what we're known for and so i'm trying to push people to think about purpose and you know what will you do with a dash in between your born date and mm. death date Oh, that's so, and I would, I wish like people literally right now would write that down. Say that again. Say that one more time. Yeah. I'm trying to get people to think about what will you do with your dash between your born date and your death date, you know, because yeah. at the end of this life, like literally the only thing that carries on are the relationships that we've cultivated and the impact that we've made. That is legacy within itself. Um, I normally tell people this, I'm, I don't hustle for my first name. I hustle for my last uh, because I have children um, and they will probably have children. Uh, I'm creating a legacy or, um, you know, just a space where they understand that they come from a family that has service at its core. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell me my, how that's been with your kids because that's the yeah. same. We have the same heart for that. I have a 10 year old yeah. and a seven year old and not every day they want to serve. I mean, yesterday we went and served our community. We um, did kind of pick up trash day and it's so funny. I thought that would be the lamest thing for my kids to like <laughs> and they loved it. They're like, this is so awesome. And then some yeah. of the things that I think are so powerful, they're like, uh, we don't really want to do that. I'm like, I don't really care if you want to do that, but we're going to do this as a family. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's it, I want to foster their hearts towards those things, right. not just because mom's heart is fostered towards that. Right. How are you doing that in your family? Yeah. Um, again, you said something key earlier is intentionality, uh, proximity. Um, I always share this story. I'll, I'll never forget when I learned how important it was for my wife and I to teach through modelship as opposed to just like, you know, passing along information. We were in the car, we were riding. Uh, my son was maybe four or five at the time. He's eight now. And this dude just starts bawling in the back seat. We were at a stop sign. So me and my wife <laughs> turned around, we were like, oh, like, what's going on? Are you okay? <laughs> he, he, he literally, he points at the guy on the corner uh, that was holding the sign. He says... I'm sad that uh, this guy doesn't have a house and he probably doesn't have any friends. Mm. And, uh, you know, the normal response of parents when they're in a the car is to, like, lock the doors and to get, you know, you know, clutch the uh, right. sternum of right. tight, you know. And look like, away, look away, look away. <laughs> look, look away, yeah. And, uh, and so I remember I rolled down the window and I yelled over to the guy. I was like, hey, I said, 
you want to say something to him? My son was like, yeah. So I, I called him. I introduced myself, and then I, I told him to walk around the car, and I rolled down my son's window. And my son said, um, I just want you to know I, I care about um, the poor people, and I'm your friend. Dude uh-huh. stars like, I mean, he burst out laughing and he was smiling and he was like man you just don't know how much that made my day and so i think for us it's it's more normalizing what it means to like be aware of you know what's going on in society and culture and not like it like teach our kids fear yeah on the flip side of that i'll never forget uh we had this group of students come to uh the museum or whatever and this this kid, I never forget this kid. Uh, one of the leaders, Adam, was talking to him, and he was asking them, like, "Hey, you have anything to share?" And uh, this kid, he just, I don't know, he was almost like in tears. He was like, "I've always been taught, like verbally taught." He said this in front of his other peers to fear the homeless, that they were no good, to fear the poor, and he starts mm-hmm. talking about all this stuff. It was like after going through this and hearing some of the stories and, and learning some of the facts, like I have a, a different perspective. And it, it went like it just made me feel like, whoa, like our kids are always watching us, but they're also listening to us. Yeah. And so it's up to us as parents to normalize what it means to to serve as a rhythmic way mm-hmm. in, in our families. Like our kids have always been around service opportunity so like i always share with other parents like we don't use service as punishment no right right yeah Yeah. it's not like oh you you have a bunch (laughs) of shoes and you know you got your xbox headset and you're not appreciating this so i'm gonna send you down to the to the shelter no (laughs) no we're not we don't take that approach yeah Uh, they end up like uh we're like they don't like that Right, right. And it and it totally dis like it's totally opposite of what you want to teach them too, right? So you know, I love what you said. Um, one of the phrases that I always heard because I always wanted I was in youth ministry for a long time and I always would interview these amazing high school kids. I'm like, what did your parents do to make you awesome? Like you love people, you're servants hearted, and they never had an answer for me. And I'm like, what is your answer? And what it all came down to is that it was more caught than taught. Yes. And so caught than taught, meaning they yes. just watch their parents react and do things kind of like, the, and, and I love what you just said, like you were just driving to wherever you were going. You happened to see this man on the side of the road. You yes. looked at your kid who had an emotion and a passion. And instead yeah. of disregarding that and being like, hey, bud, we're, you know, that's sad. Let's move on. You yeah. actually did something like that. That probably took you three minutes of your time. Yep. Um, it was a lasting impact yep. for probably your, your son and yep. it wasn't an intentional service opportunity. So that's what I always want to tell parents is like, Hey, you don't, I know it's good to go and serve and do all these things, but, but serving and loving others sometimes is just so simple. It's literally yep. rolling down your window and yep. then asking your kid, seeing what they're passionate about, what breaks yep. their heart that breaks his heart. You know what? Foster the crap out of that. <laughs> like foster that, um, yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's fostering that, like, interest. Man, it grows into amazing things. My, my daughter is about to go to sixth grade now. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, um, I remember when she was in second grade, uh, had, had a similar response to uh, my son. And, you know, as a result of that, she went to her teacher, second grade now, and said, I want to, I want to, raise funds so like she mobilized the entire school to collect change wow. uh, at like the end of the campaign she had did uh, to donate resources uh, it was like $52 worth of change but like to see how she owned something like that and we were just like yeah like do it you know um, and to see how she was able to organize something around like an idea yeah it, it was amazing you know yeah. I remember walking in the in the school and seeing all of these classrooms with like, you know, awareness posters outside and you know people were being, bringing dimes and nickels and I mean, it's just amazing to see what happens when you foster 
like that uh, inquisitive nature that children have. Yeah. And it's yeah. a simple, the simple things, you know, I always just come back to the simple things like you have an organization where you have, you know, done amazing things and you now have this dignity museum that yeah. people can walk, walk me through that a little bit of what, of what that is. Yeah. So, uh, obviously we wanted to, uh, launch a, a museum and, you know, it's, you know, museums can be very costly uh, in terms of, I know one museum, uh, the founder, the former founder had to raise like a hundred million dollars, <laughs> you know, it, and it takes like, you know, a lot to have a lot of teams and et cetera. And so I, I started to look towards cost efficient ways to create a, a similar experience, but like, uh, by using something that would be considered excess, like yeah. excess could be like an abandoned building or a shipping container. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we, um, we purchased a shipping container and the, the idea was to create, um, like a immersive experience when people walk in and then we started to realize, Oh, you know, shipping containers, have a lot of uh, metaphors when it comes to, you know, how they represent someone who may be moving around from place to place. Because yeah. every shipping container has a story. Every every shipping container has been places, mm -hmm. carries things of worth and value, um, uh, and that's like very similar to like people experiencing homelessness. Like they move around from place to place. They've been places have a past history, but it does not mean that they don't have uh, worth and value on the inside. And so when you walk into the space, it's this idea that you have to get to know people. <laughs> like you have to understand uh, the inside of a person to see the beauty. Uh, and when you walk in, it's a totally different place. Mm. Get a chance to learn in three different sections uh, to engage in stories and, um, we created a, a mobile app that you have to use to take the you know journey, um, and so it's it's been a really cool, cool, cool experience. Uh, we've had hundreds of guests. Uh, we've been open a little over a month. Like this Wednesday, we'll have a school is bringing probably seventy what fourth graders, fifth graders. Oh wow, that's awesome. You know, so it's 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 an opportunity to have service learning happen. Yeah. Um, We've, we've had a lot of people uh, who were curious, you know, maybe they had, you know, false narratives about the subject and they wanted to come and just learn. Uh, we've had people who are also in this work that just needed to be inspired come. We've had uh, political figures come through. I remember like standing next to a state senator that was in tears inside of the... Wow you know, in this, inside of the museum. So it's, it's been like a, a really broad way to engage a lot of people, but to continue to keep this conversation alive. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you're, edu you're educating through, yes. um, something that is not just stats and right. words, but you're actually educating through, um, an interactive kind of thing and putting people in their shoes, right? Like, you know, when you talked about, like, you have to be inside their story and see yourself yeah. inside their story. This right. may be for the first time as someone seeing themselves inside that, um, that story. Yeah. So I love that. Um, I hate that we have to wrap up. I cannot believe we've been talking already. Um, I feel like I could talk to you forever about all the things. Um, I love asking this question and, and you kind of talked about it before. I don't know if you have another one, but I love asking all my guests, you know, even though the big things that they're doing, what is one act of a small act of love or kindness that has impacted you for the long haul? That somebody has done towards me. And it might just be that. I mean, I think when you talked about the homeless man who just basically said, you got to finish your education, you got to be a leader. I mean, those were like, a simple sentence that he said to you that changed, you know, changed your life. So something as simple as that. Yeah. Recent. Doesn't have to be. It can be uh, any time in your whole life. Yeah. Uh, it, it will probably be, I was, um, so one of my degrees is in biblical studies. Uh, it's my bachelor's degree with an emphasis in like uh, counseling. And so I'll never forget I was working a job 
was probably like 21 or so. I was in a warehouse, and I would literally, you know, I would be the only person in the back, and I would stack these boxes up, and I would like, you know, give talks to these boxes. <laughs> I, I haven't told this story, but um, I would practice speaking. And I'll, I'll never forget, I, I was like researching schools and I, I found this small Bible college I wanted to go to. And so I saved up, uh, I had half of a tuition check and I convinced uh, the registrar at the time, well, he's still the registrar, uh, David Krog. I was like, man, you know, if you just let me enroll, I'll get you the rest of the money. You know, I just wanted to enroll in, in, in school and classes and stuff. So I, I get in, he, he lets me enroll, and I get the rest of the tuition to him, and my car goes out, um, which would make me make it really hard for me to get to work and to school. And I'll never forget, I was going into class, and I was talking about this issue to uh, Professor Dr. Joe, and I told him, and... Um, he looks at me and he tells me to wait after class. I'll never forget it. I waited after class and he, he says, uh, he says, come with me. I go to I go with him to his office and then we, we walk out to the parking lot. He tosses me the keys to his, um, his Ford Expedition. And he said, you can borrow it until you get, you know, another set of wheels. I'll never forget never any pressure anything and it's just like he loaned me his car for over a year wow yeah put me in a position to like uh finish school and i'm 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 forever indebted to dr joe because it was a it was a moment in my life where i was about to to give up on something that i wanted to really do and just a visual and now that i look back and i'm like yeah. <laughs> it was everything. I mean, and I think that's the thing, yeah. too. I just was talking to a friend the other day, and um, she also helps with the homeless community. And she said sometimes people are just – it's just like one thing. Like either they're short $50 or they're short a ride somewhere or they're short, you know, these things. Like if some – if one person could just fill in that gap for just yeah. a time, yeah. it would mean the world to them. Like, And their percentage of filling in that gap could be really small compared to mine. Like. Yeah. Whatever theirs is, it might be like $50 a month that they just cannot get that certain medication yeah. or whatever. I have $50. I could, that's yeah. easy for me to fill in that yeah. gap for them. Um, yeah. And just think about how many people Dr. Joe has impacted that he'll never meet through his investment uh, in me and my wife's life. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. That's so awesome. Um, tell us how we can connect with you, how we can support you guys. I know you have a book coming out. We didn't even get to talk about that. I'll have to have yeah. you back on um, to talk about that because I just love the title um, of your book and just seeing, that's a big deal for us as our family, is just seeing people and seeing people who might feel like they don't belong um, and finding those people. And that's kind of what your book, it sounds like, is all about. Your title is I See You, How Love Opens Our Eyes to Invisible People. I'm super yes. excited to read that. Yeah, yeah, and it has a little bit of my story in it, um, but talks about some of the things that keeps us from serving, like fear and all those, you know, margin, all that stuff. So uh, we'll lo definitely love people to check it out if they can. But if you want to connect with us, you can follow us on social media, uh, Love Beyond Walls, that's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And also you can visit uh, lovebeyondwalls.org and see some of the cool projects that we have going on. Yeah. Awesome. And I'll yeah. put all that on the show notes um, for sure so people can connect with you and your story. Um, I wanted just at the end of my podcast, one of my favorite things is just to let our guests know, you know, whether they do all these huge things and you've changed lives and the trajectory of people's lives in the homeless community, that just who you are, Terrence, just who you are as a person is inspiring others. And so I like to um, find some people in your life who you've impacted. And so I'm just going to read um, a couple things that some people have said about you. And I hope this just encourages you. Okay. All right. All righty. Um, Terrence Lester is a breath of fresh air. I believe that you can tell the integrity of the heart of a person only by observation of his or her pulse under various conductions. I bear witness to the consistency of the beating of Terrence's heart. 
for not only people overcome by poverty and homelessness, but for humanity and the preservation of the dignity of mankind. Terrence, you are truly the evidence that God is love. Terrence, your vision and commitment to advocacy and awareness inspire me daily. Thank you always for charging forward and leading the way with your innovation, your compassion, and your insight. I can't wait to see where we go next. I've got your back. Another person said, Terrence has such an amazing grace and creative vision to see and implement what the world doesn't know it needs. His sacrifice and dedication impact people he hasn't even touched or met. It's an honor to see the work he is doing, God is doing through him and to be a part. And then the last one, which you'll probably know who this is. Um, Terrence is definitely one of a kind. This guy has spoken into me and has encouraged me to grow far beyond where I ever thought I would be. Marriage is more than just two people coming together. It is about building each other up so that you can change the world together. I love my Superman. Let's change the world. <laughs> um, so I hope uh, that encourages you on the hard days and just lets you know you're exactly where you need to be and you're just influencing the socks off people. So thanks for being on. Uh, and yeah, thank you. Thank you for doing that. That's very unique and uh, heartfelt. You're welcome. Thanks, Terrence. I appreciate it so much. Have a great day. All right, you too. <laughs> hey, thanks for hanging out with our family today. We hope it inspired you and gave you ideas of how to live out love exactly where you are. We wish we could just hug each and every one of you and let you know what a difference you can make in this world. We would be so honored if you subscribed to our podcast, left a review if it inspired you, or shared with a friend because we know word of mouth is actually what matters. And don't forget to share your stories at Be Strong Story on our social media of how you lived out the message of... Be strong, protect the weak, love everyone. Because we believe with our whole hearts that every person can make a difference and inspire another. See you next week. Don't